everybody. Hi. Welcome to episode 150, bitches! Yeah, we finally <laughs> bringing the goods. We're not bringing the goods that we said we were bringing. Turns out getting a lot of people together for an episode never works the way we want it to straight off. It never really does. But that's okay. We've got that particular movie set up for later on, but that's, that's okay. right. We'll get back to Midsommar later. You probably already know by the title of this episode, but we decided to treat ourselves. A movie that we've held off on for a long time, and we're going to end up talking about some Texas Chainsaw Massacre today. Before we do that, well, first got to hit some green hits. Then we're going to have a little bit of in-between. Not our normal in-between. Well, I mean, we'll have our normal in-between, but we'll also have not our normal in-between. But let's hit some green hits first. What do you got today, Dan? I know that you're... Bring- All I have today is Bay 11. I think we've brought it up already. So I'm just going to say that's what I'm bringing to the table. But you got something new. Right. So I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I'd switched my shops, my provider. And with that, I've been trying out some different strains. I normally don't bring over sativa strains, but I did today. And with that, and the reason being is because I was also looking for... A strain that is kind of dominant in the linalool terpene. And for those who are familiar, they'll know. But for those who are not, it's associated with kind of the floral aroma. It's also believed to promote relaxation and calming effects. So for people who think of like lavender and maybe some birch bark, those are predominantly linalool terpene profiles that you smell and the effects that you get from those things. But this particular strain is Strawberry Fields. It is a dominant sativa. It is a bit of a hybrid. And some of the genetics include the strains a strawberry cough and some tangy. Hmm. So it's a cross of those strains. Shit, I've had both of those. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so I really enjoy this one. Its taste is very fruity. I think you smelt it too. It has a little bit of that limonene profile mm-hmm. too that gives you that citrusy smell. So um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm going to go ahead and warm this up and let you get the green hit on that guy. And along with that, I did bring a king-sized raw joint of some cocoa puffs that I've brought over before. And that one's a little bit more on the indica side, so a little bit later on this show we can get into that guy. Yeah, we'll hit that once we start actually talking about some Texas Chainsaw. But I'm getting excited because this is about warmed up, and then I'll let you know what I think of it. Ooh! Ooh, I like that strawberry fields. You said that's what that is, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Cocoa Puffs is the J. Cool. Exactly. Yeah, ooh, I like that. Yeah, I was wanting to try something a little different, like I said, with the linalool terpene. I already like lavender and kind of like calming effect it has. So I was looking for something along those lines. And this one, I mean, it hits you right in the nose. It reminds me of Mike and Ike's. Nice. I like it. Well, shit, how do we want to do this today? Do we want to come with our other shit first before we get into the guts and bolts? I guess we can kind of figure it out on the fly yeah, <laughs> between yeah. the segments, so yeah. Uh, well, we'll take just a, a second break and we'll, uh, we'll do this. All right, so it is episode 150, so we decided to come with something special. What we decided to come with is kind of in honor of episode 50. Shout out to Jesse, who I actually have to text back. He texted me earlier and I forgot to. Sorry, buddy. I know you're listening to this in the future. So Nice. <laughs> I know that I tried to come with some things based on numbers. You came more based on words, specifically taglines, since he... Uh... Yeah, he really threw a curveball at us, but it was a fun curveball. It was creative and made us think a little bit outside the box. And it let us know how much we didn't remember. <laughs> so that was fun. I enjoyed it. 
Okay, mine isn't so much of a game, because you kind of have a little bit of a challenge for me there. Half of mine is just like pure numbers that I'm going to make you guess. So let's yeah, get my cool. let's get my boring numbers out of the way first. Okay, okay, we can do um, that. Not counting this episode, obviously. And we do have added in like half episodes in there. So this is technically okay. not even episode 150. This is more like episode 157, yeah, 158, right. something like that. But total time of all of our episodes up to this point have 225 hours and five minutes of us talking wow and i'm sure between the both of us editing these episodes we've probably heard at least double or triple those numbers now beyond just us talking last time episode 50 i had like some stats that i was able to throw out well i don't think i said the numbers because that would have seemed a little bit gauche but i had things like which episode of ours has been listened to most oh, yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that. I wasn't able to get a good accurate reading of that because we've switched hosts two times since then. And some of those numbers that we were getting from our earliest host, we know were bot hits and shit like that. So our numbers are more accurate now, but I have no way of seeing like some of those older episodes. I know got a bunch of hits when they first came out. But all that we have the numbers for are what they've been downloaded since. You know and, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that makes total sense. So unfortunately, some of that stuff I just can't get to. So instead, I took a look at the movies that we've done since episode 100. Some things I didn't know how to count, because we had like the Test Your Frights in there, so I didn't include those. Some of the movies in those numbers, I wasn't able to find either their budget or what they made at the box office. Some of them weren't sent to box office, like Ice Cream Man was direct-to-video, so I don't have those numbers, but whenever I could, I tried to get all the numbers I could like that and put them together. In the past 50 episodes, not counting the Test Your Frights, we have watched 4,481 hours of movie. God. That's nuts. <laughs> I think we both try to watch every movie at least twice. So double that. So double that. Jesus. <laughs> 8,962 hours. The average length of a movie that we've reviewed in the past 50 episodes is 97 minutes. And that seems about fair. Let me see here. Do you want to guess what the shortest was from the last 50 episodes? Shortest film? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go hour 9, hour 10, something like that. Close. Do you know what it would have been? It was hour 7. 67 minutes. I'm not sure. Not right off the top of my head. I really... I don't know. Uh, okay, I'll, gi I'll give you three to, to guess okay, from. Okay, okay. How about Der Todes King, Silent Night, Deadly Night, or Tetsuo? I almost want to say it's Tetsuo, but I think it might be Der Todes King. You should have went with Tetsuo. Uh, is it? Okay. Tetsuo, and then uh, Todes King, I think, is the next... Yeah, I knew it, it wasn't but it's really like, long. It's still like seven minutes longer than okay, Tetsuo. Yeah. It's wow. really close. Like I said, some things I don't have a budget for, some things I don't have a box office for. But total budget of all the movies we've covered in the past 50 is $241,222,000. That's not too bad considering some of the previous films we did before those. They had some crazy budgets. With the average being seven million and seven hundred and eighty thousand. Wow. Average budget of the last fifty. Average box office, I guess, is forty three million seven hundred and thirty seven thousand. 
the total box office of the last 50 that we've covered, 1312000 oh, That's not bad. And how much was the budget for all those films combined again? Like $241 million. Wow, that's not bad, is it? No, that's not for, bad. Yeah, it's like, what, six, almost seven times its its budget? The averages compared against each other isn't bad either. It's $7.7 million budget to $43 million return. Yeah, exactly. So close to six, roughly. So which of these three movies do you think had the higher budget? I'm going to do this for a couple different. Okay. The Birds, Phantasm Two, and Critters. I'm going to say Phantasm Two had the higher budget. The Birds. Really? By $300,000. Wow. The Birds had a budget of $3.3 million. The okay. other two were each at $3 million. Yeah, I knew because Phantasm Two was under a different distributor. It had a bigger budget you know, previously to the first one. So mm-hmm. I knew it had a little bit of a bigger budget. Dawn of the Dead, Reflecting Skin, or Tigers Are Not Afraid. Uh, for budget-wise? Which yeah. one had the bigger? All right, so... Reflecting skin. Right. Tigers are not afraid. What was it? What was the other one? Uh, Dawn of the Dead. Oh, man. Um, uh, reflecting skin. You're right because I screwed up the ones that I was going to ask. That's okay. Um, <laughs> reflecting skin and Dawn of the Dead actually both have the same exact budget. Oh, no kidding. Of uh, $1.5 million. Okay. And then Tigers is uh, $1.46. Wow. Those are pretty close. Or $9.46. $1.4. Which had the smallest budget? Suspiria, The Craft, or The Conjuring? Man, I almost want to say The Conjuring. Uh, I'm going to get the final answer. uh, It was The Craft. Oh, wow. Both Suspiria and The Conjuring were at 20 million. Uh, The Craft is 15. Wow. Okay. That's cool. All right. So now let's go box office. That was all budget. Let's go box office. That's pretty cool. I like that. I like that. Well, actually, okay. Out of the films that I could find box office and budget for, we had four not make back their money. Ooh. Can you guess which four? Ooh, what are, can I get some choices? Yeah, no, just yeah. Uh, bring up a list of the last fifty, and I'll just yeah. make you guess from because I'm guessing four of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I might be able to give you hints. <laughs> you can get some sort of lifeline if you cast one out. I just don't know what one is yet. I didn't have this nearly as planned as I thought I did. I just have a shit ton of numbers sitting in front of me. That's okay. So the four that did not get their budget back. Yeah. All right. Let's go Near Dark. Yes. Okay. Let's go... Ooh, there might be five. I might have screwed that up, but Near Dark is one of them, so... Ooh, let's go Trick or Treats. Was there even a budget for that? <laughs> uh, that's one I, that I didn't have a box office okay. for. Okay. How about Pumpkinhead, then? Pumpkinhead made money. Oh, okay. Not much, but it did make money. That's good to know, though. I'm going to go Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing made money, or did I not have a number on that? Swamp Thing I didn't have a box office for. (laughs) Okay, no problem. I'm going to go Reflecting Skin. Reflecting Skin I didn't have something for, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Damn, I'm striking out over here. Dude, there was a lot of movies in this last round that I couldn't find either one of I think I might have one. How about Urban Legend? Urban Legend actually, I think, made quite a bit of money. Good. I gotta find it, but okay. Um, yeah, Urban Legend actually made quite a bit of money. Oh no shit! Wow, that's good to know, though. How about um, all right? Since I'm looking through here, how about Critters? Did it make its money back? I might have forgotten to write down Critters. <laughs> okay, my last guess, just scrolling through here, would be Phantasm Two. I don't think it made its money back. 
Phantasm 2 did make its money back. Oh, shit. So the... Wow. I'm realize. Oh, yeah, Critters made its money back, too. Well, that's good. Um, so you got one right, your first one right off. <coughs> yeah, and then I started dark. bombing after that. <laughs> what you missed was Martyrs. Okay. The remake, obviously. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. Tale of Two Sisters. Wow. And Suspiria. No kidding. That's kind of surprising. But... Can you guess which movie made the most times its budget? Okay, based off this. The budget to gross ratio. You know, the budget oh, to box office ratio. I'm going to probably ratio. say The Conjuring if that's the case. Or close to You'd you. be... You're close. Okay. Because The Conjuring... You're, you didn't get it. Because The Conjuring was a budget of $20 million and made 319.5, which is insane. Crazy. But that's not the biggest ratio. How about, uh, for a second guess out of that, I would go maybe Dawn of the Dead? That's also a really wow. good guess. Because that was a $1.5 million budget that made $55 million. Yeah, then I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Those would be my two guesses. One Cut of the Dead. Wow. Oh, yeah, I remember we talked about, like, $25,000 budget. budget. Yeah. Made all the money. $30.5 million. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That is awesome. And it deserves every bit of those pennies it earned. What, like, 1,100 times oh, its, its budget? It's insane. It's insane. Because those other ones are huge. Right, but, right. They're but, no, nothing to sneeze at. But they're at. not 1,100 times their budget. No. <laughs> that's kind of unheard of, not only in horror, but in film in general. So kudos to them. There was one other stat that I was able to figure out. Which movie do you think made the most amount of money per minute of runtime? Oh, wow. All right. Try let's go, let's go uh, An American Werewolf in London for runtime. I don't think you're actually going to guess this one, and it's a caveat that I have to throw out. Okay. That I'm not sure just how the numbers on what I know what the winner is work out, but that's actually a really good guess. That might actually be the number two, in which case I would damn near count it because I'm not sure how good the numbers are on the number one. But let me check this real quick. Yeah, for runtime, you got it. Oh, nice. There's not... there's only one other one that blows that out of the water wow but it's because it came out a lot earlier and then i also have to adjust for it initially being in lira oh okay okay you talking about zombie zombie 2 so american werewolf in london i took its box office divided by its runtime subtracted by its budget divided by its runtime wow to get how much the amount it made per minute, right? Wow, and what it, it made five hundred and seventy nine thousand three hundred and eighty one dollars uh, per minute? minute. Jesus, we're in the wrong business. <laughs> Essentially, when when it's all said and right. done, right? Wow, Zombie Two. When you adjust for the fact that its box office was in lira to dollars at today's exchange rate. I don't know what the exchange rate would have been at the time it was made. But on today's exchange rate, Zombie 2 made $496 million. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Which meant that it made $4,700,000 a minute. A minute. Jesus Christ. That's nuts, man. So, you know the ones that lost money? Suspiria... Tale of Two Sisters, Near Dark, and Martyrs. Okay. Which one lost the most per minute? 
I hate to say it, but maybe Suspiria. It did. Yeah. Now, here's the weird thing, though. You get that number, right? Suspiria lost money and lost the most amount per minute for all of these movies. At least of these 50, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Suspiria had a limited theatrical release. That's true. In 2018, even though it lost money in the box office, it was shown on so few screens that the money it brought in averaged out so that it made the most amount of money per screen for the entire year of 2018. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think that's a good (laughs) fact to point out. Because of its limited release, those numbers can be looked at a little skewed Mm -hmm. and be misinterpreted for that simple purpose and some of these might have even lost worse blood on satan's claw i wasn't able to find a box office for but everyone involved with the making of it were like yeah it made no money yeah exactly considering the time period and yeah those are kind of the the numbers i have that's cool for episode 200 i do want to get i'm going to continue i'm going to save this spreadsheet and i'm going to continue to expand it to maybe cover all of the movies that we covered i like it yeah that's that's really fun and you know we have to keep in mind too that we've condensed to the at least the last 50 episodes Mm -hmm. and consider this is 150 today (laughs) you know there'd be a lot of numbers involved and I'll have it a little bit better set up. Maybe actually turn it into a game. But I thought some of these numbers were yeah, interesting. Because, no, like, Suspiria lost money, but it made the most money per screen of that entire year. That makes me appreciate the fact that you can't necessarily read into numbers like that and expect to have, like, an opinion based off of, like, oh, this movie sucked because it didn't make its money back, et cetera, et cetera. Because that might not be the case, as case in point. American Satan only made $237,000. But they're making a fucking tv series based off of it you know what i mean like yeah. they're making their money off of it somehow and it was a product that they felt worked enough to continue it on same with deadlands it didn't make that much money it's got a tv show it's got a tv show now it's all relative the numbers are there to be played with right i think if there's enough interest you know things can spawn out of it yeah that's what i have okay. i know that you have something for me right. and this is going to be fun so i did write down a tagline <clears throat> challenge so i chose 10 taglines from the last 50 films, and I also threw in a bonus one just to see if you'd be adept to it. So what I've done is kind of a mix and match. So I'm going to hand you this sheet. I'll let you read, of course, the taglines, and then if you want to write down your answers, and then we can compare them after you've gone through the list. Cool. Now let's take a look at this. All right, so I'll read off the taglines as I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. The, yeah, movies, cool. that, the movies that are up for contention that it might be the, the taglines from. We got Starry Eyes, Reflecting Skin, Devil's Rejects, Calvair, The Birds, High Tension, Opera, The Void, Suspiria, Pumpkinhead, and Urban Legend. Shit. <laughs> so you, you know the films, and so I've written the, the taglines across from them. So, first tagline. And remember, the next scream you hear could be your own. So, yeah, that's the first one. Two is dreams require sacrifice, and so do they. I'm going to say that one's starry eyes. Okay. I'm going to get that out of the way now, because that one sounds the most starry eyes to me. Okay. And that way I don't have to think about (laughs) it anymore. All right, I like it. What you don't believe can kill you. Okay. I'm going to skip that again. The beauty hides the blood. Fuck, these are hard, (laughs) dude. I hate you so bad. (laughs) Yeah, I thought these would be challenging and fun. Sometimes terrible things happen quite naturally. I have an idea on that one, but... Hearts will bleed shit. (laughs) 
Death walks behind, hell waits ahead. Cruel, devious, pure as venom, all hell's broken loose. Some of these I have no idea <laughs> reading through them. This is going to be so fucking tough. Uh, I'll start it. giving some guesses here in a okay. second. Yeah, I'm no, going to no, continue okay. reading through them. I like it. Some people would kill for company. There is a hell. This is worse. That's the void. I remember that. Okay. And bonus, a star is born tonight. Will she live to see tomorrow? Wait, and, and that's from these, oh, yeah, this yeah. list? So the movies that I've given you... Then that's going to be opera. I'm going to say that's opera then. Because I already used Starry Eyes, and that's the only <laughs> other one that feels like it could fit right there. All right, so you've got three written down out of the 11. Yeah. All right, so... Um, <laughs> I'll fill in the others here. I'm glad this is making you think a little bit. Hearts Will Bleed, I'm going to say, is High Tension, given that its other name was Razor Blade Romance. Okay. Ooh, Jesus. And remember, the next scream you hear could be your own sounds way more old school than any of these movies you have written down. That really bugs me. <laughs> that sounds like something like from like a 50s horror movie. You know what I... That's I like know. the Tingler type shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. What you don't believe can kill you. I'm going to go Urban Legends on that. Because none of the other ones seem to make too much sense. Death walks behind, hell waits ahead. I feel like I should know that one. I'm, and for those listening at home, you can play along. <laughs> no shit, I've said them enough times without figuring them out. I, I'm gonna go. Some people would kill for company is Calvair. I guess that one's really bugging me too. <laughs> My only other choice there would be the reflecting skin, and that's starting to bug me that I, maybe I should have put that down. Um, no, I gotta just, I I gotta get this done. So. If I think about it too much, I could be here all fucking Yeah, night. I mean, they are challenging. Some I could them, be here all fucking Some night. of them kind of resemble each other. Yeah, I think I'm just going to have to be good with getting some wrong. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fair. I think it's fun. There's three of these that I want to say are the Devil's Rejects. <laughs> and remember the next scream you hear could be your own. Is exa- exactly something fucking Dr. Wolf and... What was, you know who I'm talking about. Right, right, right. I know exactly who you're talking about. Anyway, the character I'm thinking of appears mostly in House of a Thousand Corpses, so I'm going to rule that out and say that that one is The Birds. Okay. But if you come up with the name of that character, I would love to fucking remember, because it's bugging me. I can't remember. <laughs> it's just Dr. Wolfenstein. Okay. Oh, okay. It, it is Wolfenstein? Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to we say Dr. Wolf. thinking too hard. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, like, it couldn't be Wolfenstein. That's a fucking video game. I was th- Yeah, I was like, what? No, it can't be that. It's so easy. So I'm going to say... And remember, the next scream you could hear could be your own would be the birds. Okay. Which leaves me with the beauty hides the blood. Sometimes terrible things happen quite naturally. Death walks behind, hell waits ahead. And cruel, devious, pure as venom, all hell's broken loose. (laughs) I love it. I'll go beauty hides the blood. I guess I'll go Suspiria on that one. It's full of beauties. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong there. Sometimes terrible things happen quite naturally. I will say is the reflecting skin. Death walks behind, hell waits ahead. I'm going to say is devil's rejects. And that leaves me with uh, Pumpkinhead for Cruel, Devious, Pure as Venom, All Hell's Broken Loose. Okay, let's go through the list, right? All right, yeah. So All right. my number one, and remember the next scream you hear could be your own. I said was the birds. And you are correct. Yeah. One for one. 
All right. Dreams require sacrifice, and so do they. I said was starry eyes. And what if I told you that you were right? Yeah, <laughs> look at that. Yeah, man, two for two. I like it. What you don't believe can kill you, I said was urban legends. Oh, man, I hate to say it, but you are right. Yeah. <laughs> Bitch, three for three. <laughs> the beauty hides the blood was Suspiria for me. Okay, so this would be the fourth one that you got in a row. Damn, bitch. Man, apparently I do pay attention sometimes. <laughs> uh, sometimes terrible things happen quite naturally, I said, was the reflecting skin. All right, so so far you are five for five. Damn, man. bitch. Killing it. Hearts will bleed, I said, was... What did I say that was? High tension. And you were absolutely correct. I've, I was pretty positive on that one. I'm like, nice. that, that sounds like razor blade romance to me. Although I've really almost said that the beauty hides the blood. Ooh, yeah. I can see that too. That works yeah. for high tension, right? It does. It does. Death walks behind, hell waits ahead, devil's rejects. And you are absolutely correct. I was going to be pissed if I didn't actually get that <laughs> right. I'm like, I love that movie way too much to get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure... I was like, I, I think I remember that yeah, on my DVD, my, my DVD cover. You know what I mean? And you're right, yeah. It certainly is. Cruel, devious, pure as venom, all hell's broken loose, I said, was Pumpkinhead. And you would be right again. Book! Yeah, man. Killing it. Did I screw any of them up? Some people would kill for company. Calvair? Calvair is right. There is a hell this is worse. I know the void is right for that. That means oh, like, what? Oh, it's the void. <laughs> <laughs> that means I got them all, didn't and I? And the bonus was opera. Shit, yeah, so I liked it, man. You you logical deductions, right? You looked at them, dude. You that took was your fucking. Time. I might have gotten them all right, but that was really fucking tough. <laughs> I, but I like that, man. It's it's fun. I'm, I mean, I'm glad that you did. I knew some of those would be a little challenging. Some, like I said, if you if you read a little bit into them, you can uncover what they are. But yeah, good job, man. I'm I'm proud of you. Well, like. Um... I mean, Beauty Hides the Blood could just as easily have been Starry Eyes as well. Yeah, there's a few, like, you know, even if, like, say, for instance, had I not written down maybe some of the answer keys, I was thinking, too, with, like, the well, one you, for Opera, you could say it could be another Starry Eyes one as well. Yeah. Uh, what well, you don't believe can kill you, could weirdly still fit for, like, Suspiria. Yeah. Could fit for point. Pumpkinhead. Yep. Even the, like, the cruel, devious, pure as venom. It's like, you could say that could be any number of those films. I, Devil's for Rejects. For the longest time, I thought that was Devil's Rejects. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was like, one of these is Devil's Rejects, and I don't know which one it is until I... Now, the one that I pulled for the reflecting skin is actually a quote by Dolphin Blue in the film. I mean, it's still a tagline, but it's, mm -hmm. it's actually a quote as well. So, But that was one I've always enjoyed, and I actually did go back and watched a review on YouTube by some fellas I listened to. And oh, shit. Yeah, it was really cool. It was nice to see them give it some props as well. Dude, that was fucking tough. Well, I'm like I said, you, I might have I might have fucking gotten it, but, like, that was, that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those at home, too, if you're playing along, let us know how you did, because, uh, you know, we like to do these kind of things. Jesse, fun. you better fucking pause it and try to play <laughs> along. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, he gave us inspiration for a lot of these things, and I really did enjoy the time that he was on and we, you know now granted we didn't have an answer key but at that time once again we were relegated to 50 films so it's i think mm -hmm. it's it's uh it's fit no this was fun it was really neat getting to see like i said i have the numbers section and it was just weird getting to see how some of this actually all lines up and like i said the numbers don't tell the whole story because you're right fucking suspiria is a fantastic film i don't think there's anybody that would 
I mean, okay, I take that back. <laughs> the fact that it's Suspiria alone means yeah. that there's a ton of people that are willing to naysay it even before they ever see it. Just but, namesake alone, right? But you know what I'm saying, like, yeah, 100. it's a fantastic, artistically we made both movie. Loved it, so yeah, I agree. It lost money, but it performed exceedingly well. It technically performed better than any other movie that year. That is wild. Yeah, if you look at it per screening, yeah, that's awesome. So that's all neat. Fuck all of that. I was going to say, one thing I got out of the number game, if nothing else, it lets you know that per average, right, per average on the budget that you gave us, and then you stack it for the average gross that it got from the box office, it still shows that horror makes its money back overall. Six times? Yeah. Or close to it. Say five to six close times. To, close to five times. Still, that's pretty remarkable. Let's me know, and it helps reinforce the idea that people want to watch horror films. The yeah. numbers don't lie. Sometimes they really want to watch it, like One Cut of the Dead. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No shit, right? 1,100 times its oh, fucking budget. If only. <laughs> if I could only think of an idea. Shit. Let's get on some fucking guts and bolts for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. From here on out, I don't, it's probably going to be a pretty normal episode. Right. But, but that's that's our little... But it's special, dude. Yeah. Uh, we'll get, we'll get to we'll get to it. It's special for a number of reasons. Guts and bolts. Guts and Bolts. Alright, Guts and Bolts. Hit us with some of this. We've talked about some of these cats before. We have, but before we do that... Oh, fuck. Synopsis. I always fucking forget. Oh, actually, let me just uh, find this real quick. How about I just give you the opening crawl from the movie? I'm cool with that. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young, but had they lived very, very long lives, they could have not expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I can only think of one man who could have. I do too, and I know we're going to actually talk about them in just a moment. <laughs> okay, so of course, this is nothing new. We like to talk about our cast and crew. Didn't mean that to rhyme, but hey. So, I'll start off. We've actually talked about this gentleman before, and I am talking about Toby Hooper, our director. He is actually one half of the writing team. He's one of the producers. He actually helped with the music on this. I think he did some of the editing as well. So, multifaceted, once again. For those who have not... Listen to our episode six of the actual sequel to this film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's actually when we first talked about Toby Hooper, so you can go back and hear that. But some of his other credits include such films as Eaten Alive. He's directed a couple of different Stephen King adaptations, one of them being Salem's Lot. He also did The Mangler back in 95. Mm. He's also done such things as The Fun House, which was a Universal Pictures movie. He also was a director of The Poltergeist. I'm sure people have seen that. He was also the director of Life Force. Uh, Body Bags was, was an anthology. He did the segment I for that. He's also known for the Toolbox Murders. We've actually covered this series, but we haven't covered his episodes. But he did two episodes for the Masters of Horror back in 2005 and six. Ooh, we need to get back to Masters of Horror. Yeah, there's a lot of good episodes from that. And one of the last credits he actually did was a film entitled Jin. Which we're no strangers to. Hmm. Maybe not that film, but gins in general. <laughs> All 
Alright, so I did mention he is one half of the writing team, and the other person is his friend, actually, Kim Henkel. And Kim is known for working, of course, on some of Hooper's other films, like Eaten Alive. He was also a writer for the film The Unseen. If you've ever seen Last Night at the Alamo, he's also responsible for writing the screenplay for that. He also helped write the screenplay for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, and for the film Butcher Boys. All right, our cinematographer, really interesting gentleman, and that is Daniel Pearl. He's known for being the DP on such films as Full Moon High, the film Zapped, It's Alive Part 3. He also helped with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's the 2003 remake. He's also helped on Aliens vs. Predator. That's Requiem. And more recently, the film The Boy. But something that really grasped my eye more than anything else Mm -hmm. is aside from all those credits that just gave you, is he's a very notorious because he's won awards for for being a DP innocent. I mean, for like being a director as well on a shit ton of of music videos that I'm sure you and I both have seen several times through. So I'll just name a few. I would do anything for Who hasn't heard that? So he won an award for that. I think an MTV award for that music video. He's also helped with The Police's Every Breath You Take and Wrapped Around Your Finger. If you've ever seen Billy Idol's Dancing With Myself and you've seen his work on that. You just mentioned Meatloaf's work. Have you ever seen Iron Maiden's Life After Death? Okay. Yeah, he's done that. He's helped with uh, Lionel Richie's Dancing on the Ceiling and Ballerina Girl. Ooh, what a feeling. Yeah, you 2 is With or Without You and the Dancing song Pride. <laughs> yeah, Every Breath You Take, The Police is once again. Rod Stewart's Lost in You, Tina Turner, The Best. Simply the Best. <laughs> I mean, just like I said, a Bend ton. Uh, I saw more recently like J-Lo, Ed Sheeran, Pitbull, like wow. some pretty popular artists. I mean, he still still does it, so... I just thought it was another one of those cool facets that he brought to the table. All right, moving along, we have editors J. Larry Carroll and Sally Richardson. This is actually their only film credit. All right, the music was composed by Toby Hooper and Wayne Bell. And Wayne Bell has composed the music for such films as Eaten Alive, Last Night at the Alamo, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Toby Hooper, not known, I think, for soundtrack work. This yeah. fucking soundtrack's astounding. It's I mean, really neat. it might be more Wayne Bell, but the fact no, that he's credited, like... Toby Hooper had a lot to do yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah, he sure did. All right, so I did mention our producer was Toby Hooper. The production company was Vortex. The distributor for this was Bryanston Distributing Company. They were responsible for the 1974 United States theatrical release. It had a release date on October 1st, 1974 in Dallas, Texas. It had a budget. This is an estimate. I know you and I talked about mm-hmm. this beforehand. Uh, I've seen everything from eighty to one hundred forty thousand dollars, upwards to about three hundred thousand dollars. So, I've listened to some of the behind-the-scenes things, and it leads me to believe it was more than like the hundred odd thousand-dollar range, more okay. so than the three hundred. But its gross was thirty point nine million dollars at the box office. Unreal. Uh-huh. I do have a tagline. It has several, but this is the one that I saw in the poster. And it says, who will survive and what will be left of them? Which is also an amazing murder by death song. (laughs) Nice. All right, so moving along, I'm going to talk about our cast. And I'm going to lead off with Marilyn Burns. She plays the role of Sally Hardesty. 
And Marilyn's also worked on such things as the 1976 TV movie, Helter Skelter. She was also in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Next Generation film, and Texas Chainsaw 3D, and she was also part of the film Butcher Boys. Now, unfortunately, she is one of those who's also passed away along the way, along with Hooper. All right, the next gentleman I have is Alan Danziger. He plays the role of Jerry, and he helped on a short film, actually, by Mr. Hooper, and that was Eggshells. All right, we have Paul A. Partain, and he plays the role of Franklin, which is Sally's brother in this film. And he's been in such films as Race with the Devil, Rolling Thunder. He also made an appearance in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Next Generation and the film Burying Lana. Once again, he's another gentleman that passed away as well. William Bell plays the role of Kirk, and he's been in such films as Poltergeist, the film Mausoleum, and the film Glitch. And if I'm not mistaken, he's more or less a production designer for a lot of films now so that's kind of what his gig is oh good for him yeah all right terry mcminn she plays the role of pam her only other credits include the films the seller and butcher boys i believe she dropped out of acting not too long after this film and those films all right edwin neal plays the role of hitchhiker and he's been in such things as future kill he was in a really big film oliver stone's jfk he was also in the film my boyfriend's back He's been a, a film that I still need to watch. I've heard a lot of good things about it, and that film's Murder Set Pieces. He's also been in Satan's Playground and the film Butcher Boys. And he He's voice in Murder acts. Set Pieces? Yeah, he sure oh, is. Shit. And I know he does a lot of voice acting as well, video yeah. games, etc. Yeah. All right, we have Jim Seidel. We've actually talked about him before. He plays the old man in this film. We talked about him because he recurs his role in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. But he's also been in such films as The Wind Splitter and Hot Wire. All right, Gunnar Hansen, another gentleman we've talked about before. Really big name. He's Leatherface. <laughs> yeah, he's Leatherface, dude. Uh, now, we talked about him previously because we have mentioned him on the film The Death House, and I believe that was his last credit as well. Mm, okay. All right, now, such other films he's been in are things like Campfire Tales. He was also in Murder Set Pieces. He was in Texas Chainsaw 3D. One thing I thought was really neat is he went out of acting like soon after this because he wanted to focus on writing. He said he grew up in Maine till he was about 11, then moved to Texas, you know, went to school there, did all that good stuff. But he always wanted to move back to Maine and focus on writing. So he did. And then it wasn't until a director who he worked with actually on a little film called The Demon Lover, but the director of a film called Hollywood Chainsaw Hooker that was directed by Fred Olin Ray called Gunner and's like, hey man, we got a role for you if you want to get back to acting. Hey man. And he was like, he kept, he said he kept turning down roles because he, he didn't really want to act. That wasn't his focus. Mm-hmm. He's like, it was just, for him, this role was just a really cool summer gig, <laughs> you know? So anyway, he's like, he kept turning down roles and then he's like, why the fuck not? Well, you know? So yeah, it got him back into acting essentially. All right. So moving along. We have John Duggan. He plays the role of grandfather in this film. Now, some other roles he's been in were Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. He was in Butcher Boys. He was also in Texas Chainsaw 3D. Some people might have seen him in The Boogeyman. He was in Rock, Paper, Scissors as well. All right, John Henry Falk, he's the storyteller. He's kind of like the radio narrator in this film. He is known for being in such films as All the Way Home and The Best Man, which are like some old 60s films. And he also did um, a TV movie about the Adam case that sparked the whole, like, 
was it like the Amber Alerts and stuff like that? Oh, okay. Yeah. It was like America's Most Wanted, That the host right, of that. Right, that guy. Yeah. But he plays Strom Thurmond. I was like, oh, that's kind of fucked up because that's from my home state. <laughs> we try not to talk about him too much. All right. I have two more actors and that kind of rounds out our cast and crew. I have Ed Ginn. He plays a role of the cattle truck driver. We didn't talk about him, but he was actually in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Oh, shit. He was one of the chili, like, cook-off judges in that film. Oh, good for yeah. him. It's, like, awesome. He was also in Butcher Boys, the film Sacrament, and the film Deviant Behavior. In the last but not least, somebody this that you've so already funny. talked about. This is so fucking funny. Is we have John Larroquette. He was the narrator that on the scroll. <laughs> and uh, when I think of John Larroquette, I think of him... Primarily because of Night Court, but he also had his own show. I think he was on Dave's World. He's been in a ton of films as well. He's no stranger to the horror community. Yeah, just a really interesting guy. <laughs> I think I probably think... Oh, I'm trying to think of what I think of him first. Probably Stripes? Hmm. Ray Film, Bill Murray? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, because right he was Captain Stillman in that? That's a good film. But then, I mean, when I was young, like, Night Court was just coming out of its prime and it was still enough in the public consciousness that he was just one of those faces I fucking saw all the time. Yeah. Even though I never, I didn't really even watch Night Court. Like, I know I saw a few episodes. I, I used to hate when it was on because I was like, uh, and then I started watching it and it was actually really funny. <laughs> but some of his horror films that he's been in, one we, we need to do sometime down the road is Altered State. That's really good. You've already mentioned Stripes, not horror, but he was in Cat People, The Twilight Zone, the movie, Star Trek Part Three, The Search for Spock. He was in Life Force, Meatballs 2, he was in Madhouse, JFK, Richie Rich, another one. He was in Demon Knight, Tales from the Crypt, which is really cool. He was also in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning. He was in the movie Gun, and I think more recently, the uh, movie Camera Store. And, you know, we've already mentioned some of his television roles, but he's done a shit ton, and he's still in some of those things. He actually was in a, an episode of The Twilight Zone more recently. He was President James Stevens in the episode The Wonder Kind. Hmm. Yeah, so it's really cool. Interesting thing, a little bit of trivia. Did you hear about how he got this part? Or how he was offered this part? No. So, you want to guess what his payment was? We are no stranger to this at all. Weed? Yeah. He, he got paid, paid weed? <laughs> one marijuana joint to read that part. That's fucking... Dude, I'll read that part all day for a fucking I was joint. thinking, it's like, oh, we were perfect for that part. It's just, you know... 40 years too late. <laughs> oh, I want to say, John Larroquette is actually really, really good in a really good episode of House called Son of Coma Guy. Oh, nice. I, I really like House, so I should throw that out there too. Yeah. Like I said, he's, he's a really cool cat, man. It's it's cool to hear his voice in this oh, film. I know he doesn't listen, even though he's been on here, but Dylan, if you ever listen to this episode, I know that you know House, so the guy we're talking about <laughs> was in Son of Coma Guy. That's awesome, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. Right, yeah, so that rounds on our cast, our crew. You gave us a really good synopsis. We do have to give you some warnings. Warning, this film is not as gory as it was made out to be for the first 30 years of its existence. However, it's now 10 years past that actually being a hot take. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, when you think of things, it does have some, you know, some pretty visceral moments. A lot of it is implied, you know, so your mind tends to fill in the gaps. But, you know, you're usual. There's a, I don't think there's much swearing. There's maybe a little bit. Not much. So, I mean, this fits for the guts and bolts. Toby Hooper famously was going for a PG yeah. rating. Now, this is in the days before PG-13. So this movie fits very firmly into 
what I would consider to be a PG-13 movie. Oh, yeah, easy, easy. However, for years and years and years, it was made out to be <laughs> Verge and C-17. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this movie was... It was getting... I think it's upon its one of its first cycles through the ratings board, it got rated X. So Yeah, that's not necessary. This movie isn't <laughs> that bad. No, but The worst know, things are all hidden. It is, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with the feelings at the time the style of cinema that was coming out around that time period too it was very kind of counterculture in a way i mm-hmm. feel like this film is a little bit of that so i can see for that time period yeah why it got you know as riled up as it got but you know upon all these years later it's harder to justify that and we've talked about this even a little bit too like that's still almost even just for mainstream too cuz even by this time period it's not like splatter films hadn't been no exactly no i think more more so than anything it's just it's the images depicted in the film like they're macabre they're gruesome you know they're going to make you feel a little squeamish so i mean it fits right at home here with the squirms you know what let's just talk about how this made a squeal yeah if you can make it this far and you and you have seen it or if you haven't here we go how does that make you squeal Texas motherfucking Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, 1974, the OG. All right, we've purposely put this one off for a long time because this movie, in our estimation, was so seminal that we wanted to figure out something special to do with it. Absolutely, yeah. We didn't figure out anything special to do with it. We just put it into a special occasion. And I think it's fitting, too. I mean, we had other plans. We've already mentioned that before. But I think this is one of those films that definitely garners... An episode like this, a milestone for us. Absolutely. We once, a long time ago at this point now, did like two months on slashers. And because we wanted to talk about how the slasher genre in particular has influenced how people sort of view horror. If you talk to a casual horror fan, what they start describing usually is a slasher movie. Yeah, 100%. Well, I'll say 100, but nine times out of ten, yes. However, every time we hit one of those movies and we sort of started to talk about like, well, this is where, you know, modern slashers are influenced by this part or by this part. And it was never fully what we were talking about. You know what I mean? Like this modern slasher might have been influenced by this scene in Halloween, but there's still something off. Like something's not quite Halloween. It's because the missing ingredient in all of those is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh my gosh. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, in my estimation, has influenced modern horror even more than Halloween. I'm going to 100% agree with you there. And once again, you know, it's no discredit to Halloween, John Carpenter's vision. It's just this film really did inspire so many films that followed. Was it just last year, the year before, they just released Leatherface? I mean, this is a franchise that's still going. I mean, even though some of the films aren't that great in the series... But the fact that it's lived this long, we're still talking about it, you can't discredit the fact that like it's influenced not only in cinema, but just in pop culture in general. You don't have to be a fan of horror to know who Leatherface is. I also even kind of think of it this way. like We like to go international in our movies, or we try to. We, we go all across the board, definitely. and We do. Uh, I know that even beyond this show, me and you tend to watch foreign movies, maybe not a lot, but I would say more than the average person. Yeah, I would think so. How many foreign horror movies do you see following what you would consider more of like a Michael Myers slasher trope? Ooh, that's a good point. As opposed to, I mean, I can think of an example off the top of my head. 
fucking Rumadara is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, through and through. That was the first film that came to mind, too. <laughs> when you started talking about that, I was like, hold on. We just did one not very long ago. But yeah. Right? Like, not many other movies do slasher slasher in the super codified way. Lots of movies still do fucked up family that people wander into. I mean, a perfect example is, is somebody that we really enjoy. Not a lot of people do. But that's okay. This is very subjective. But, like, we're big fans of Rob Zombie. They're, we make no bones about that. And when you watch The Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses, you know, there you go. <coughs> I'm coughing all over this track. Dude, as I was re-watching this movie, I was like, oh yeah, House of a Thousand Corpses is just a remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, but... And I think when okay. we talked about Texas Chainsaw 2, I said the same thing about Texas Chainsaw 2. Yeah. And it's because both of those movies are all over House of a Thousand Corpses. No doubt. And that's okay, because, you know, to me it's not about... I don't feel like he was trying to knock them off. He's paying an homage. Mm -hmm. He's just doing a modern telling of it, so to speak, and exaggerating some of the characters. But once again, it's just, it's a huge influence. I still enjoy both of those films, you know? So there's that, yeah. Leatherface gives you, quote unquote, faceless killer before Mike Myers. You're absolutely right. And it's still, though, I, I do feel like we talked about during our slasher run, Slashers existed before we start talking about Black Christmas, before we talk about Halloween, before we talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But the earlier slashers weren't as codified. They Good didn't point. fall into certain tropes. They were just like rando hitchhikers, rando serial killers. It's literally just a rando killer that happens to slash people with a knife. Right. And Happens then sense. these guys came along. And that's where we get the slasher movie, and that's the difference. Yeah, that's a good point. It was those early films. Were Slashers kind of like, exist. Right, right. But it wasn't, like you say, it wasn't codified. It wasn't something that was already being labeled as like, that's what that is. But you're right. It, I still think some of those films' influences, you can't help but notice their influences and how they shape these style of films. You know, you could say like Psycho, things of that nature, even going further back. Um, and that's the thing, Tom, I feel yeah. like... Texas Chainsaw still has a foot in the older mold. Yeah, I agree. I agree. As compared to some of what we would see in just even a couple of years after this. That, once again, I'm not trying to put them down, but you have to compare somewhere. And Yeah, you, I mean, there is. There's a starting point somewhere. Yeah, I mean, we do think of films like what came after this, right? And <laughs> even one of my favorite characters, Ash from the Evil Dead, his chainsaw, <laughs> you know? Come on. So it's things like that, but yeah, this is a very foundational film, though, for sure. So, something I tried to pay attention to this time through, just because we talked about it back with Texas Chainsaw 2. Texas Chainsaw 2 was made partially because Toby Hooper meant this movie to be taken as more of a comedy than it was. And so the second one, he really played that up. Yeah, absolutely. How funny do you find this movie? Did you there think about it at all? Because I found it pretty funny knowing knowing that he intended for comedy to be in this movie. Yeah. It makes reading some of the characters' actions a little bit different, I, I think. I agree. I agree with you there. And I do find moments that are funny, like it making me chuckle mm -hmm. in this film. And, you know, I think there's a good balance. And I think because of our viewing experience, is that that's what separates us from like a casual viewer who would maybe step into this and be taken so back from it that they don't pay attention to that kind of stuff the humor that is in there well and some of it's dark 
Yeah, but that's like I find the fact like the only news that you ever hear on the radio is super fucked up or the weather. Right, and that's (laughs) yeah, like the barometer measures that. I'm like, no one cares about that. It's either the exact weather or every other news on the radio is death. But you know, that's another thing. Funny, right? Like It, it is. I mean, that's kind of the point too. Is Thematically, this film uh, tackles a lot of different issues for its time period. We got to think that Watergate was going on, Vietnam was still going on, there was an oil crisis that was going on. So that kind of weighs heavily into this because this is an independent film, too, on top of it. Nubbins was in Vietnam, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, he's he a real just, guy, too. Yeah. <laughs> he plays Nubbins. That's, no, that's what I mean. Like, oh, yeah. The guy that played him. What, Edwin Neal? Yeah, yeah, Neal. Yeah, he was in Vietnam, right? Like, he had enlisted for a bit and yeah. he came back and did this oh, movie. Man. All right. One thing I will say, I'm so glad that I do have that particular version of the film I have is that there is a really cool, like probably eight or nine minute interview with Ed Neal. Mm-hmm. And that guy is like, he's a super character, man. <laughs> he is awesome. But he talks about that kind of shit. Like his time just, he doesn't like go in depth, but he's just like, he compares his time in Vietnam to what he went through on set and to get into character and things, and he's like, it was tough, man. So part of the reason we put this movie off for so long is because so many people have talked about it because of how seminal it is. So some of what we're probably about to say probably isn't news to some of you listening, but I think it bears in mind when we talk about the actors' performances and stuff, because the last third of this shoot is infamously tough. Oh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Notorious. Later on in the movie, after fucking... What's her name? I never remember names. Sally? Sally. After Sally's ran through the woods and shit, most of that blood on her is real. Yeah. Because they were running through those fucking thickets. Yeah, I was like, we talked about the budget, so you know there's a lot of things they had to do. Gunnar Hansen damn near killed himself with that fucking chainsaw. (laughs) His scream at the end when it's biting into his leg... It's real. It's real, because... Shit yeah. fucked up and it got too hot. And yeah, so it was he, he had a plate him. over his thigh where it cut into. And you're right, like the vibration and the heat of it caused him to get burned. And yeah, he screams because of it. But that's the thing is like they were doing things very kind of guerrilla style, you know, not very safe either. <laughs> but they were also shooting in days that were like 107 oh degrees. Oh gosh, dude. And particularly when they do the infamous dinner scene, they were in there with that food for like a 12-hour shoot. Uh, it was they, they said it was about 27 hours straight they shot that scene. Yeah, something it fucking stupid. Unre- yeah, unreal. But In all that shit was godly heat. It was all rotting. <laughs> Not just rotting, but rotting <laughs> quickly because of the heat. Yeah, a lot of the lights and inside, yeah. Shit breaks, so when they cut her finger, that's real. Yeah. They said that the tubing, they couldn't get the blood to come out of the tubing, so she had to like turn her finger so that it would get nicked. Yeah. And I think I've seen things from Gunnar Hansen's side of view where by that point in the shooting, he was feeling so crazy that he was kind of about to make that happen anyway. Like, Yeah, no, he like he had a brief moment of contemplating hurting <laughs> somebody, yeah. yeah. Apparently, everyone really, really fucking disliked Toby Hooper for a little bit after this movie yeah. because of the <laughs> intenseness of the last, getting Gosh. the last bit of this done. And I think it comes Gosh. through in a really big way. It really does. It gives people like real performances. You can feel that when you have like certain aggressions or you know pent up feelings, you let it out and you're acting. And they give some really real visceral performances. 
oh, they say you got to cough to get off. I'm shooting fucking ropes all over this room. <laughs> Holy shit. I think I got some of my Your cocoa puffs are killing me, son, but it's great. What better way to spend fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Yeah, exactly. Getting fucking stoned. Okay, from the get-go, the text scrawl's dope. I don't know why, but I like text scrawls, especially around this time period, because I just think Star Wars. All right, here's something that I think, for everybody who has seen this film, it's always a unique experience because everybody has a different experience viewing this film. So with that in mind, before we start getting into the film, what is your experience with the film? Like, what is your history with it? I don't remember the first time I watched it. It would have been in high school sometime. What I remember most from watching it is the first time is honestly kind of not being impressed, except for one thing that's that stuck with me. Gunnar Hansen's improv at the very end of the movie. Oh, dude, yeah. Him just going wild with the chainsaw has been my favorite uh, movie moment ever since I've seen it. It's um, iconic. I mean, not just in horror. In cinema, that is my favorite movie moment. That's awesome. Just the pure emotion that shows through in that five-second tantrum that was pure improvisation. You're absolutely right about that, too. He mentions it, Hanson, that is. Like, he was frustrated with Hooper. <laughs> I mean, like I said, the first time I saw it, God, I'm even getting weirdly emotional just talking about no, it's, it. It's, but it's, it's weird because awesome. it's like, because it truly is one of my favorite movie moments in fucking history. Like, especially being at that age and being so close to a time period where, like, only years before, you know, I am kind of throwing tantrums as, like, a little kid and shit and just... Leatherface is a giant man-child, and yeah. so it always stuck with me, the realness of it, only to then later find out that it was real. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't see that in very many other performances. No. You know... And it's weird, because it's truly like five seconds, but... But, no, that is a super raw, just like you were saying, just an improvised scene that it does transcend just the horror genre itself. It does. People are familiar with that scene. And that it wasn't necessarily a happy ending. No. She got away, but she's obviously broken. Yeah. She, she's uh, done. All her friends and her brother slaughtered, essentially. And, oh, man. Yeah, how do you cope with that? So, it is. You're right. It, there is no happy ending to it. It's a very unnerving... You don't know what happens. And the real threat is that they could still be out there, you know, doing mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. It's like, man, that really fucks with your psyche, your... But that's that's what I really enjoy. Like this movie makes you think beyond that too. It's like not just what you saw, but the reality. Like shit could go on like that in the real world, and sometimes it does. Yeah, honestly, I didn't appreciate the rest of the movie besides that ending until after seeing Texas Chainsaw Two, and then coming back to this one. For me, it makes Part Two make more sense and uh, weirder too. All at once. Yeah, but I, I ran. It's like. Okay, it explains for me, it explains Nubbin's role in the part two. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, I totally forgot he got ran over by that semi-truck, mm -hmm. right? I, I was like, one million percent forgot that. I was like, okay, that makes sense. All right, good. It also makes sense now because of Chop Top's role. And it's like, man, Bill Mosley and Ed Neal, they could, I mean, mm -hmm. their characterization of that, you know, that character, it's like, what? <laughs> it's totally believable. Like, they could have been brothers. Yeah, one hundred. Like yeah, for definitely. real. Yeah, but I think that's the unique thing too is that they're both from Texas and they both can kind of exaggerate in that kind of mannerisms and stuff like that. It makes it unique within itself. But 
it does help explain things past this film and into what we did earlier. Like that was one of our our first episodes, as I mentioned, number six. But I think yeah, just with my own personal journey, it took like the oversized versions of it all for me to go back and see the subtle nuance of this one and appreciate it even more. Yeah, I just remember like the first time I'd watched it uh, because I think growing up is like one of those films like oh you can't watch that it's, you know. But when you finally do, and I think I was like, oh, man, I want to say you're a little like, bit disappointed the first time, right? A, a little bit too, but if you still have that notion like this is really based on a true story, like you buy oh. into that notion, it's like. It makes you think, like, man, that's fucked up. Maybe I did see a, a characterization or like an exaggeration of that real story, that real event. So I was like, oh, man, that's kind of fucked up. But, yeah, I think later on, knowing that it's not based on a true story and, and that that myth, you know, crumbles, it's like it makes me appreciate the different dynamics of the film now, too. Yeah. I was like, technically, I mean, it's not the, the most technical film ever, but... There's some really cool shots in this film. Like, the cinematographer, outstanding, man. There's a lot of really cool people in this film. I mean, go beyond the frame. I'm not sure how true this is, but when I was doing some of my research on the film, there was one place that was citing Leatherface's first kill as one of the first jump scares in in horror cinema. I've heard that, yeah. I've heard that. Which is kind of amazing if it is, because it is an amazing one. <laughs> that is a brutal scene. Not even a music sting. <laughs> Just no. clunk. Yeah, you're like, what the fuck? And then Although the, it's more of a crunch. And then he starts twitching, and you're like, oh, that's acting. <laughs> they sold that. That was good. And just so, tosses him, and then slams that door. Oh, like, so this is fucked up, but like... That twitching really fucked with me. Rewatching it, probably rewatching it one of the first times, and I, I watched it in college because mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in my summers in my later high school years going out ground squirrel hunting with friends. And a lot of the times, you would know if you got a headshot because they would flop like that. Oh yeah, they twitch. And then I hadn't seen the movie in a bit. <laughs> yeah. And I go back, and Leatherface comes in and fucking creams the guy and he starts twitching i'm like oh fuck same thing in a different form Mm -hmm. yeah i was just like fuck yeah it's fucked anyway i mean i kind of just want to talk about it from that point on but we should talk about i guess the hitcher before because nubbins happens before that yeah no i mean essentially what we're getting i mean we we always jump around a little all over the place but i was really prepared just to be like well and then shit starts going wrong well right when that happens but the whole lead up to it the whole point is it seems like the kids the group are going to the estate the sally and her brother Mm -hmm. right and upon getting there they want to go into the swimming hole but along the way they pick up a hitchhiker they run back into the cemetery. Like that's kind of how the whole thing starts. Is you get the flash bulb of certain body parts. You can tell it's decomposed bodies, mm-hmm. but then it has like one of the best openings I think oh, ever. So fucking dope. It's so macabre, so brutal, but so artistic. It's like man, that is that's a way to jumpstart a fucking film, man. <laughs> yeah, I did think upon seeing that. I'm like, okay. I can kind of understand that, like, when you're setting a movie up with this, yeah. no wonder the audience is going to remember this as being a lot more fucked up than it. Right. It, I mean, it does set the tone, but it also kind of, like, it throws you for a loop because it's not necessarily that. And that's, like, some of the most macabre stuff you're going to see is at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's just, 
nubbins off being artistic. Yeah, that is kind of the funny thing thinking about it. He was out there trying to create art and taking pictures of that shit, right? You know, mm-hmm. that's just what he does. It's fucked up, yes, but it's still art, <laughs> right? So once you piece that together, it's like it does kind of soften a little bit, but it's like, man, that dude is fucked, <laughs> you know? And especially because it's never brought to the super forefront. No, it's not. It's it's always in the background. Even the news report that follows it, they do make mention of the cemetery, you know, the great yeah, robbings. That's part of the reason why they stop, too, because they want to check to see if uh, their grandpa's grave had been dug up. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they think it's a West Coast jewel thief ring I or something. I fucking wrote that down. I'm like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding That's me? That's hilarious, man. <clears throat> well, and even the lead up to that was like, they have no idea of this, no idea of that, but they're saying that it's probably connected to a fucking jewel ring, I'm jewel like, heist ring. Oh my god, that's so funny because we know as the audience that is fucking nubbins. <laughs> it is, it's so funny, but they eventually do. There's a couple of things I was thinking this time through. Is like it doesn't seem like it because it's kind of maybe it's a, a play on it. It's like the new age girl where she's into astrology. And she's talking about Saturn and retrograde and things like that. But what she was actually saying <laughs> does come to fruition. So it's like, it's kind of funny in a sense. Oh yeah, all the fucking horoscope readings are right on the fucking money. Yeah, and she's the only person in the car when they do see Nubbins hitchhiking. She's like, no, he looks creepy, no. And everyone's like, no, just let him come back in here. Because during that time period, it was normal. I mean, my dad's told numerous stories about hitchhiking back then. So it wasn't uncommon. (laughs) Boy, did they pick up one. But the interesting thing I thought to note, too, was before they get to picking him up, they pass that slaughterhouse. And they're kind of foreshadowing, at least Franklin's kind of foreshadowing some of the events that are going to happen, too. About getting clubbed and the twitching and things like that. So There's foreshadowing of getting clubbed and what will physically happen to them yeah because the whole movie can be read as an allegory for what happens in the slaughterhouse system yeah i mean you can read into that i suppose i mean i know or at least i've seen or read that like hooper mentioned he stopped eating meat for a little bit because of some of this but whether Whether it was meant to or not but uh you can look at it i wrote it down we never find out exactly what it was meant to be but he marks on his way out. Yeah, he, he marks the the van. The, the van, which would be the equivalent of uh, farmer. the farmer branding. Yeah, the I, cattle. I, I, yeah, I saw that too. Leatherface is obviously the, the slaughterhouse butcher. worker yeah. slash butcher, and then they make a big deal of the fact that Drayton Drayton <laughs> doesn't want to be involved in the killings. He's just a it's, bitch hog. <laughs> he just under he understands it's necessary. Right. And he, he wants to cook his meat. He makes a line, or he says a line in the film where he's like, I get no pleasure out of killing. Mm-hmm. He just the cook, right? Yeah, but you're right. And then they get sent to the slaughterhouse and they go through that entire process. I think it is an interesting metaphor for it, for sure. Mm-hmm. They're just using human feed as opposed to cattle, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, it's we learn in part two that that's what they're doing. 100% that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not hard to deduce it in this like, one. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you read, if you definitely read into it, yeah. They're, I mean, they're cooking up people. I mean, they even like, I think what's clever is when, uh, I know I'm kind of skipping for a little bit, is when Pam and Kirk, they want to go to the swimming hole 
and then you know they hear the generator he does mm-hmm. and one of the first things they do is they pass like this little shed cover that has a bunch of cars in it i was like oh damn it's letting you know that they've been doing this for a bit <laughs> yeah no shit they're walking right into a trap so but yeah his encounter you're right they stopped at the gas station that was ran by drayden mm-hmm. and then franklin's eating a sausage Franklin's definitely eating cock in this movie, right? <laughs> it could be implied, right? You know what it made me think a little bit too is like if if you're looking at it like how Zombie was doing the film, his mm-hmm. film, you know, House. I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely Captain Spaulding right there. One, yeah, it's Captain Spaulding and uh, fucking what was the name of the his assistant? I, I can't remember, but I know what you're saying yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Who then exactly never right. appears again? <laughs> that's so funny. You're right. The fucking clown head guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Man. All it is just, just gets worse as this movie goes on, right? Yeah, but that's... I was just still thinking hard about Franklin, like... Yeah, yeah. Franklin, the, the actor who portrayed him, he stayed in character because he's like, you know, I wanted to be annoying. I wanted to be that character. He's like, but if I got out of it, like if he stopped trying to be a method actor and try to get out of it, he said he felt like he would lose that. So he had to stay in character to give that kind of performance that whiny he's like he just wanted to be whiny the whole time <laughs> he oh, said that he you know helped of course because it was fucking hot but you're right i mean throughout the whole film you're like god almighty shut the fuck up please so okay this really isn't much of a contest i don't think but <laughs> what's more fucked up the hitcher in this one or the hitcher in the 2003 remake oh shit um which is worse <laughs> yeah you remember the Hitcher in the 2003 with the gun? I don't know if I do or not, to be honest. The, I think it was Jessica Biel in that one. The Hitcher isn't with the family that they pick up. The Hitcher that they pick up is a chick that had been being terrorized by the family. And during their ride with her, and she's obviously all like shaken up and shit, yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. trying to get the story out of her and shit. I don't remember exactly how it plays out, but I'll never forget the next part. <laughs> It looks like she pulls a fucking gun out of her pussy and then blows her brains out. Oh, damn. You might be... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No, I, there was a... There was like a YouTube thing I watched. Yeah, and I remember seeing that part. I know what you're saying. because Yeah, you're right. They tell it from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. It's not the hitchhiker that we know getting into it. Right, it's, a it's still a hitcher. Right, it's but... just a victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fucked up, for sure. <laughs> Even though I haven't seen it, I have seen that clip. Mm-hmm. That's fucked, fucked up. up. right? That's like the worst case scenario. Like, you don't want... Like, you want this picture all day long yeah. for that shit. As weird as that is, that's still a story you could tell later down the road <laughs> if you get out of it, right? <laughs> it's like, that's a story, man. Just make sure that shit's not affected, but it's a story. We're not picking up any more people. All right. But anyway, yeah, that's the worst case scenario, for sure. 100%. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> I don't know how long it'll be before we get to another Texas Chainsaw, so oh. I thought I'd better bring that up now. Cause I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's fucked up, for sure. And I think in that Good one, question. you actually get to see the meat hook get used. I think you might be right. Yeah, I think you're right. Jessica Bill is in that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a while since I saw it. I did see it in theaters when it came out. I, like, I can't remember if I've seen it all the way through. I think I've just seen like bits and pieces of it, yeah. I know we're we're kind of roundabout going like how we're leading up to the kills essentially we're talking about Franklin his I mean, little we, whiny ass right his little whiny ass well they and they're at the house and shit and then like you said they they just go start fucking off into the house one by one basically yeah they're all giggling having a good time 
Well, and fucking Drayton warned them, like, you might not want to go be poking into old houses. Yeah, people might... don't take too kind of that. Right. And they're not afraid to show it. And then, who was the first? Kirk? Yeah, Kirk first goes in because he hears that generator. And so, to him, he's like, oh yeah, there's power. Somebody's in here. We already talked about that. And that's you, you start to hear watching. that, like, that the pig squeals. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh-oh, he's setting the trap. What I thought was kind of neat, you know, when people kind of analyze and talk about this film is... This is kind of like the early stages of letting you know that Leatherface is a man-child. And he's also like paranoid because he doesn't know where the fuck these people are coming from. Because they kind of, they do. They show it one by one. Kind of like getting ready for the kill. Here come the here come the cattle. I mean, Leatherface, obviously, you never see him without the mask in this. You see a little bit of like his lips and teeth and shit. And he's obviously not a pretty man. <laughs> yeah. But... I believe in interviews, Gunner had always said that the idea was less that he was deformed and more that because of his mental disabilities, yeah. uh, he had never learned to talk and was shy to, to interact with right, people. Right, right. He doesn't make like, noise and, and so sounds. And that's what the mask is about. Yeah. And that's why he has three different masks through this movie. Personalities. His personalities yeah. and him being able to express in some way. That makes total sense. Uh, and you're right. He said that... During that time period, he went to, like, a special needs school. So he can kind of glean a little insight into, you know, portraying that into his character. But, you know, also being respectful, of course. But I feel like later installments lean a lot more on, like, well, he's just hideous deformed. So, mask. Yeah. No, I I, I read more into it. Like, he's just mentally, like, so challenged. And, and it's obvious he's not pretty. Right, right. But. <laughs> but he's not, like... I don't think he's, like, super hideous or nothing like no. that. It's just, you know, an exaggeration. This is, yeah, this is how he himself can create that persona. Like, who he wants to be in whatever situation he's in. Is he the butcher? He's got his butcher's mask on. Is he at the dinner table? He's got his dinner table mask on. <laughs> you know? A fun way to do this, obviously I don't think this is the case that this movie's making. This is more it's just, like, a fun mental game to play play with the characters in this movie but i couldn't help but think of a version of this movie where drayton nubbins and leatherface are all the same person and that's the mental split that's going on damn that'd be that'd be awesome just because the knowing he the masks were meant to be different personalities right i was like what if they were just the different personalities i would like that yeah it'd be a different take on it but it'd be a unique take on it Mm -hmm. yeah i like i like that idea when he's the cook he's yeah i like that still have the mask right yeah just change the personality holy shit that'd be awesome (laughs) that'd be fucked up too right yeah hey you guys keep remaking fucking texas chainsaw (laughs) how about you use that idea i like there Dude, yeah, that'd be Just a nice twist. Throw me a couple free tickets, assholes, if you steal my... <laughs> my I'm not asking for much. I'm asking for two free tickets, assholes, if you yeah. steal my idea, so... <laughs> I like it. I mean, once the kills start happening, everybody gets killed within 15 minutes that's gonna die in this movie. Yeah, pretty much. What I thought was cool... This movie's under an hour and a half, so... Yeah, it's not a very long movie. You're right, it's like hour 23, Yeah, and like it takes that. them like 40 minutes to get to the house. Yeah, it's just weird shit going up to it, you know, like fucking hitchhiker i mean the guy like i said ed neal plays that character of nubbins that dude is such a character man he had some funny stories to share that i'll share later on but anyway he said that he wanted to uh kind of portray a little bit like he had a nephew that had paranoid schizophrenia so he had like little mannerisms Mm -hmm. and questions that 
he's a, he wasn't like a harmful kid. He never harmed anybody. It's just, you know, people knew his condition. It's just he had certain mannerisms that would throw people off. And he said he wanted to do that with the character, right? And just playing to people's, like, paranoia about him. Mm-hmm. And just do weird shit to, like, that would be something that would then, you know, throw those people into a different, like, fear level. And so, anyway, that, to me, like, first watching films like this, that guy is so fucking nutty that he's believable, like, beyond the film. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I will, that, that dude is, they really got to fuck that guy to do that part. <laughs> but it's like, man, that is such a good part that he played, that character. It's like, he nailed it. Uh, did you see what Ed Neal said about some of the unintended consequences of this film and what state troopers would tell him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they thanked him. <laughs> For cutting down the rate of hitchhiker like related crimes and stuff like that, crime in Texas dropped eighteen yeah. percent, something like that. Yeah, for like hitchhiker related incidents and mm-hmm. shit like that. Yeah, I read that. It's like that was pretty wild. Because the message people took away from this movie was don't pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> Between this movie and the hitchhiker, like that would have like hitchhiking at that point was probably like at an all time low. Yeah. <laughs> all time low. <laughs> So that would have been like 86 and beyond. That would have been an all-time low. So after having done upwards of 150 episodes of this show, as we pointed out earlier, even though this is episode number 150, yeah. how obvious were the she's not on a hook? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I thought it was cool. That, I mean, it was cool. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But it's obvious she's not on a hook. <laughs> because you don't get to see anything other than the fact that she's just hoisted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, okay, you know, they were rigging it up. And even that, they did the hard way. Some of those shots, she could have literally just been standing on something because you're not seeing anything from yeah. the knees down. Anyway. You're right. They they did, I mean, granted the time period and, you know, all the shit, but yeah, they did, they did some, some real quick rigging, like, all over the place. Just because they were, you know, low budget, they only had a certain amount of time to, to film it in, and they're like, well, we're going to film on all that time. <laughs> it's crazy. But they pulled it off. But you're right. That scene alone is like a, a lot of shit's implied. Like even the violent mm-hmm. stuff, it's like, uh, did you really see it? Perfect example. And I think to me, it's arguably some of the funniest shit in the film is when they finally get Final Girl Sally over the bucket and they're going to let Grandpa finish right. her off. Oh my, he keeps fucking dropping. All right. So the scene itself is like, super terrifying it's horrifying because nobody wants to be in that position and on top of it they're almost mocking you because they're letting an old guy finish you off because he Mm -hmm. used to be good in the day (laughs) but what i thought was hilarious is they mentioned that the hammer that they were using for that scene was actually made out of paper mache and they said it took everything for them not to laugh when he kept going down because he said it would barely make a noise And they had to dub in the sound later. Oh, sure. Right, so the thud you hear later is dubbed in, like, post. <laughs> well, I also thought it was funny and just super quick foreshadowing that right before he starts to swing, Drayton says, uh, just hush, it won't hurt none. <laughs> yeah. Which is absolutely true. It's not going to hurt none, because... That's, yeah, that's what makes it even more funny now. <laughs> yeah, and the guy who plays Grandpa, mm-hmm. that dude was, like, 18 or 19 at the time, John Duggan. <laughs> no no lies like they found him and there was a doctor who did the makeup for Uh him the guy was a plastic surgeon i think his name's like i think his last name's bar anyway the the whole point is 
he didn't do much after. I don't think he did anything after in terms of like special makeup effects and whatnot. But anyway, he just age processed the guy using dental shit that he had. <laughs> and he's like, because I could. I was doing like plastic yeah. surgery and stuff, and I just used what we already had. And he molded the kid, and it was kind of neat seeing the process. Because when you watch it now, you're like, the makeup's not that great, but for the time period, yeah, you're not really paying attention too much to the fact that there's a kid behind that makeup, <laughs> you know? Right. The makeup looks weird, and it's obvious that it's someone in makeup. Right. I never in a million years would guess that it's a fucking... What, 19? Yeah. I, I think would never in a like million fucking years it would guess it was a 19-year-old kid under the makeup. No. And that's, to me, it's, it's like... It's obvious someone in makeup. I would have still guessed like a 30-year-old in makeup. It's, it's hilarious, man. <laughs> A lot of this stuff, too, is like they were sending out casting calls at the University of Texas and stuff. So, you know, a lot of people associated with this film, acting-wise, came from that. Like, Ed Neal, he's like, hell yeah. Somebody approached him and like, are you going to try out? He's like, sure. And, you know, the guy's already goofy as it is. Right. And watching that behind-the-scenes thing is like, that guy's like, he was almost like a Jim Carrey kind of person. Like, he's got all these characters in him, and he's not shy to show it. So anyhow, yeah, that's how he well, got the part. And his career seems to have worked out. I saw how many fucking voiceover roles he's done. So. Dude, he, he talks about the story, like how he got the part. He said he met uh, Toby Hooper, and Toby Hooper's like, he's like, are you going to read for the part? And he, he, he was kind of mocking him. And he's like, are you mocking me? He's like, no. And then he's like, he's like he got into character. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you got the part. That's exactly what we're looking for. That kind of weird. He's like, do you do weird? And he's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. That, he's like, weird's who I am or something like that. Yeah, so he got the part, and the rest is history. And uh, Marilyn Burns, she knew, like, I think she knew Daniel Pearl, the cinematographer. She got him on board, mm. because I think at the time he was um, he was doing, like, documentary stuff. And even Hooper at the time was doing, like, docudrama stuff. So their kind of vision on film, it meshed well. So it's just kind of neat knowing those little connections, because all of them are Texas-based. Right. So the movie's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. How many people die by chainsaw? One. <laughs> One. That's Franklin. Only Franklin. Yeah. The most annoying character in the film. Which, yeah. By the time he died, I was like, well, okay. Yeah, it's like, you're just waiting for it at that point, honestly. He ain't getting away. No, there is no way he's rolling out of that joint. <laughs> I mean, as soon as he was in the situation, he's dead. I'm, yeah, there's I'm no like, way Franklin's going to die. And then he just kept getting he's more annoying. He's not a bad person. So. He's just an annoying character. Yeah. You know, it, and does that warrant that he should die in a film? Yes. But <laughs> only because it's a film. But what I got out of the film, too, is they explained that scene, like how they did the blood mm-hmm. and whatnot. So they were, they were holding blood, a caro syrup in their mouth. Partain, the guy who played Franklin, uh, this woman named Dottie Pearl who did some of the makeup effects, and Hooper. So as Gunner was going in to like oh, do the, the cuts, that's when they would spit. They would do spit takes, basically. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking funny. So, I mean, knowing some of that stuff, it makes the film, it really softens the film, but it makes me appreciate it more because, like, man, they were pulling off some really cool shit in this yeah. film. The production designer, this guy named, I think they, his name is Bob Burns, if I'm not mistaken, they said this guy would like go out to cattle ranches and to like veterinarian clinics because Dottie Pearl knew veterinarians, and he would just look through all kinds of bones and bring it mm. back and decorate. And he's like, he just wanted to get as much shit as he could. That paid off. The house was super guiney. Oh, dude, yeah, it's it, and that's the whole point. And they talked about like how they wanted to uh, kind of replicate that, like the lampshades and the mask and shit like that, like Ed Gein. 
And uh, I also read somewhere too, like uh, some of it from Hengel, the guy who wrote the film, along mm-hmm. with uh, Hooper. He said they were inspired by another Houston serial killer, like this guy who was procuring homosexual teens for this guy who was killing them. Okay. And so he's like, you know, it's just like bait. It was like, you know, trapping people, essentially. That was what he got out of it. But yeah, a lot of it was inspired by Ed Gein. You can't help but notice it. But my point being is like, that guy <laughs> decorated all that shit. That's, uh, that's awesome. That's yeah, insane. that was like total dedication and knowing that stuff and, you, you know, just like, who would have thought of like getting all that crazy shit and bringing it in there and and making it feel like super authentic, you know? It's like that's crazy. It's like that's some shit you'd actually find out in old abandoned buildings and shit. Right? <laughs> like what the fuck is going on? But that's when you're, I'm getting the fuck out of here because I've seen yeah. too many of these movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if nothing else, horror films help you know to get the fuck out of these situations in real life. So uh, kudos, Alexa, to everybody on board with this film for sure. Sally is like top notch when it comes to jumping out windows. <laughs> yeah, dude. Twice uh, in this movie, once from the second story. Yeah, she both times the real clean. Like she's she's slowed by the two story, which look Granted, we all understand. Story. We all understand. That's a drop. But that was clean breaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she got the fuck out. She actually uh, Marilyn Burns. So that was the scariest part of the filming for her was actually the drop. From that insert shot, like they had a, a stunt lady who went through the window, and for the fall, they said they they hoisted her up like eight or ten feet and they just let her fall, <laughs> and because they you know I guess they wanted to make it look real, <laughs> and she said like when uh, Edwin Neal, who plays Nubs and uh, Gunnar Hansen, Leatherface are chasing her onto the highway before Nubbins gets hit, is like she's like yeah I'm really running with a limp because that shit hurt. <laughs> She was like, I'm glad I didn't break my ankle. I mean, they really went through some physical stuff on this film, for sure. Oh, for sure. And, like I said, I think the physicality of the shoot Man. shows through by that end. I will say this. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in Texas, but I did grow up in South Carolina, where it gets hot as balls during that time period. During the summer, that is. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, oh, there is some truth in the in that heat for long periods of time. You're going to lose your mind a little bit. And, cause, and it, you just, it's unbearable. Anything to get out of it. Now I understand why Homeboy had his fucking shirt unbuttoned down to his navel half the Oh, uh, and I will say this too, like, maybe not for that particular van they were in, but I've been in vans, like some old school vans, in the heat. It just feels like you're roasting inside that bitch. Dude, we've been in this room with three people and it's gotten roasting before. Oh, like, dude, yeah, so I'm no stranger to, like, sweating my nuts off during that time, <laughs> like, yeah. in, in the summers, dude. It, it's nuts. It all comes back through. I love that she gets picked back up by Drayton. <laughs> yeah. That was all great. We get back around to the end. We have the two uh, random badasses. What do you think about when he's clubbing her with that broom? <laughs> to me, I was like, that is some of the silliest shit. <laughs> he's whacking her with a fucking broom. Drayton's fucking just he's, funny. He's, he does kind of change the scenes a little bit. He's better in number two. Yeah, yeah. They let him shine a little bit. But he's pretty funny in this one, I thought. I, I, like his, I like him. I like his awkwardness in this one. If I'm not mistaken, he was only on like a one-week contract, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a, another part of the reason why, for that dinner scene, they had to shoot for so long. They only had him for so long. Mm. So yeah, they had a... <laughs> but I'm like, damn, he still gave a good job. One thing I think is neat, too, is Partain, the guy who played Franklin, he said his actual final day on the, sh- the shoot 
was the scene where he's actually peeing in that little can. Oh, shit. Yeah, I was like, damn, I, who would have thought that? That would have been his last scene. <laughs> but the thing he said that was interesting is they weren't getting paid at the time. It's kind of, it's a known thing that there was some really shady shit going on with the Bryanston mm. distributor. They were a, a front for the mafia. <laughs> oh, shit, okay. Oh, yeah, that's some fucked up shit. But anyhow, a lot of them were getting paid, and so what they did was they gave them points. You know, oh, the, on the film. Right. So but, that they but would But the get thing back was, in. they didn't know, like, the the people, um, the actors and Hooper and some of the other people, the, some of the other producers from, like, Vortex and whatnot, there was, like, so, so much shady shit going on that there was other people who also had stakes in it, so it diminished their points. Okay. Yeah, so anyway, Partain, like, he said he wanted, because they, you know, they have bills to pay, these people. Right. <laughs> these are actors. <laughs> yeah, but he said in that scene, if you pay attention, in his pocket, his breast pocket of his shirt, there was a check written out for him in full for his participation in the film. I'm like, that is hilarious. Man. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, I, that's something I would never have looked for. But he says you can see it. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, that sucks that it was so shady that their points got diminished because yeah, points on shady. this film would have been pretty good for some of them, I think. What happened was that company was kind of going out of business for obvious mm-hmm. reasons or whatnot. That distributor, but the producers, I'm not mistaken, they sued. And they got so much, I think 450000 bucks was the settlement. And so they did have something to kick back. I mean, that wasn't much right. when you consider how much they probably should have been made. Right. <laughs> but even they didn't think that this film was going to do much at all. It was like Gunnar Hansen mentioned, he's like, the most that he was willing to like admit, like he said, as long as somebody, you know, like a true horror fan, say five or ten years from now, just even mentions the film, even thinks about it. He said that was enough for him. You know, he didn't think it was going to go beyond that. Like the five, 10 year span he's after that, it's just, it's just be mm-hmm. neat if someone even mentions it, <laughs> you know, a few people. He said, but he knew it was going to blow up when he took a friend of his out to the site of the house. And he said that there was a bunch of teens who drove by too and stopped and said, this is where they shot that film. And he said that he knew right then that it was going to be big because it was already in the kind of the conscious mm-hmm. mind, you know, for teens and whatnot. So it's like, that's really cool, man. Cause all he wanted to do was be a writer. Right. <laughs> and he did. I mean, that's what he did, but it's just neat kind of shit like that. It's like this film within its frames. It's like, it's one of the scariest films of all time to me, not so much, you know, for obvious mm-hmm. reasons, but it doesn't diminish the fact that I don't appreciate its value. Right. It's like this film Man, it's it's so iconic. It's so like big in the pop culture. Even now, it's still popular. Oh yeah, and it's crazy thinking it was just a group of people, right? Who didn't like have huge intentions. They just want to make a horror film. It had some themes in it that were, you know, conscientious of its time, but that wasn't its sole purpose. I mean, he wanted to make it a PG film. You had mentioned, and it has dark comedy in it. It had the inverse effect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. And that's crazy. Like it, it's awesome, man. But that's here in the horror genre. That shit kind of happens, man. And uh, it's fun. It's fun talking about it. And it's, you know, it's fun seeing films like that, and knowing that. How about Nubbins getting run over? That was pretty awesome. <laughs> I was like, like I said, it made so much more sense in part two. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's why Nubbins is in part two. And as I said before, two rando badasses. Yeah. Fucking truck driver. Wailing into <laughs> fucking Leatherface. That's so funny. And man. then getting away. He did. He got the fuck out of there. 
it makes more sense now on that box set that I seen, the Black Maria, mm, the mm-hmm. truck. Yeah, but he did. He just threw the wrench. That's when Gunner cut into himself, <laughs> fucked him up a little bit. But yeah, he got out. Then the other truck driver got her, and they sped off. All right, so now we got through the entire movie talking Ooh. about it. The ultimate, the thing that will have somebody hating us no matter what we say. <laughs> okay. One or two. One. Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. Um, oh, man, I know what you're saying. Damn. <laughs> God. All right. Personal, I think personal favorite. I would, I'm more inclined to watch part two just because of his antics. Like, yeah, it's I, just crazy enough. I'm it's right just there so too. 80s enough. I'm right there too. I have to I go to number like, two personally. I think though, if I were to show, like if, if I were to show somebody which one first. This one. This one for sure. And, and that's because when you do watch part two, you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. Phew. Two is kind of evil dead too to this one's evil dead, right? Like, totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Yeah, because that's ironic. Well, maybe coincidental in a sense, too, the way that Raimi did that. Yeah, because it's kind of the same fucking production experience, just maybe not as hellish, but, right, but except I, for Raimi beating the hell out of Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know, listening to some of these people involved with the film industry and stuff like that, it's not my take on it, it's their take on it, but from what I gather, Glean is that, you know, when you deal with production companies and people, it can get shady. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, so you, sometimes you have to do unorthodox things, but sometimes there's also these weird fruits that come out of that, you know, and sometimes they're the best fruits. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a weird combination. It's like, you don't want it to be that way, but sometimes these weird things happen and it works. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there too. Number two, personally. Yeah. But... Personally, I like it. I mean, I love Mosley. Uh, Carolyn Williams does a good job. And then none of the other ones measure up. Yeah, I mean they're 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 kind of they weird within moments, themselves. But... Yeah, but I, there's no way I would stack them like those two, and they're both Hooper. Mm-hmm. So take that, and you get Dennis Hooper on top of it, man. That scene that he has dual in, wielding chainsaws, and that that fucking dude is like that old guy. Like, yeah, just loving it. Chainsaw Kimbo, <laughs> it's so awesome, man. Yeah, I personally like I like part two, but. This film is it's definitely a foundational film for me, too. Maybe not so much as some of the other slashers we talked about, but I, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't say that this wasn't a seminal film in horror, in cinema in general as well. It's so seminal that when talking about it, I came all over the place. Seminal. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad we got to talk about it. It's, uh, it's such a fun film, man. One last thing. Yeah. Maybe that I want to talk about. This is a story about Ed Neal, because I couldn't get enough of that guy. That guy is fucking hilarious. He said that when this film was being screened, he and he said some of his little hooligan friends, they went to go watch it, and they sat behind a group of sorority girls. Mm-hmm. And he said about two-thirds into the film, he tapped the girl, like, a, I don't know, one of the girls on the shoulder, and he's like, uh, uh do you like this film? You know, like it was getting to his character and he said that they were so scared that they left the theater, right? And he says, some guy came over. He's like, what's what's going on over here? And he's like, I have no idea what's going on. They just left and fled. You know, he just changed his character. That's what he did. Mm-hmm. But he said he, he knew that that film at the time was going to have like this impact, you know? But at the time, it's just like, it's just a chance for him to act in a film, you know? So it was... All these people came in it from different angles, and 
it makes me appreciate the 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 people who do this because it's like sometimes you got to take a risk and sometimes just you know getting along with a group of friends shit happens man yeah. <laughs> you know you never know well shit it's a whole lot of texas chainsaw massacre yeah i've enjoyed a lot of it. texas fucking butcher hammer massacre yeah one of the working titles was Head Cheese. Head this Cheese movie and Leatherface. Yeah, this movie would have never been as successful under the name Head Cheese. <laughs> that makes me think of, like, perverted things. <laughs> it Honestly, it reminds me of, like, Basket Case or Street Trash. Yeah, I could see that. You Especially if mean? it came out in that time, like the 80s, early yeah. 80s. Yeah, it would have fit right in. Head Cheese. <laughs> like, I think Head Cheese is actually a really good name for this movie, but I'm really glad that it didn't have that name because yeah. it never would have... Well, I think that's part of the reason, too, because it is hokey. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of what we said. He wanted to make it kind of funny, you know? So, yeah, mm -hmm. why not name it Head Cheese? We haven't decided on next week, have we? No, we haven't. Fuck. We haven't. But that's okay. Well, we'll go do that. But in order to listen to episode 151 as we enter into that era of this podcast, yeah. please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. That would be super awesome. What else do I usually say after that? All the social medias. You can find us as Fried Squirms on all the social medias. I'm using that slowly more and more. So there's actually content. Yeah, Fried Squirms across all of those. And it's pretty easy to find us. You can always contact us through the website or by hitting us up squirmcast at gmail.com. The website is www.friedsquirms.com. Up at the top, you'll notice we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. You can always go listen to me talk about other nerdy shit over on General Nerdery over there. We also have the Art of War Gaming. If you super dug our Event Horizon episode, Ooh, then that's yeah. probably also going to be right up your alley. There's no other good way to plug them from this particular podcast. No, you know I already I mean? know from one of our listeners, uh, it's a perfect parallel, like a switch for him, because he's into 40K. Mm. So, Jesse, mm -hmm. this would be perfect for you. There you go. Go check all that out. That would be awesome. You can always hit up our entire archive through the website. We hit it all. We love you. Exactly. Like... You know, if you want to listen. This is way later than we're normally recording, so. <laughs> and we've been smoking a lot, but. No, like, once again, though, if you have some favorite films of yours that we haven't talked about yet, give us some recommendations on those. We're always up for that challenge. And uh, we also like doing films for people who are independent and might need some reviews. And uh, just let us know. We're always into that as well. Yeah, that's that's true. I said I love you, right? Love yeah, you. we do. We, we love everybody. This is the 150th episode of Fried Dude, Squirms. I know, it's awesome, man. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. out.